If you enjoy being average, this may not be the show for you. This is where you can learn the skills and mindset to turn mediocrity into excellence. You're listening to Against All Average with Kyle Tolzman. What's up? What's up? And welcome back to the show. As you probably already heard, we have a brand new intro. Isn't it freaking sweet? Doesn't it just pack a punch? What's even more exciting is our guest today is the voiceover genius who has created my intro and outro and has done the same for so many more. But before we introduce him, I'd like to thank our sponsor. When you need all things digital, that's call our friends at Fair and Event. Our friends will give you the against all average treatment with an awesome new website, ticketing, custom graphics, and a full line of printing services. Fair and Event, the trusted partner of the Against All Average podcast. Hey, you know the drill. We're in season three. I only do one episode a week in this episode that I do. I only bring you the most interesting folks. If I can't stand them for an hour, there is no way they get on the show. So today we've got someone with over 10,000 voiceover projects under his belt in the last 20 years from Coca-Cola to Jose Cuervo. Our guest today has made a name for himself by using his burly voice. He has starred on commercials, podcasts, intros, outros, and so much freaking more. Jim McCarthy is also the host and producer of What's Your Problem podcast out of Tennessee. And to top it all off, he is also the owner of Big Dot Lighting and Electrical, which solves all of your lighting and electrical needs. Please welcome to the show, Jim McCarthy. What's up, Jim? Hey, buddy. How you doing? I'm good. We're rolling. Good Got to be the- up. Got the morning coffee rolling. You know, it's it's 9 a.m. my time, Jim. I'm just I'm just starting the day, man. You're just getting going. I changed my moniker in the Zoom uh, label as Jim McCarthy dash voiceover genius per your uh, labeling of me. So oh, my God. That's going like to that. look that's going to look so good on YouTube, Jim. You don't even know <laughs> that is going to be bedazzled. All right. Hey, Jim, let the listeners oh, yeah. let the listeners know a little bit about you kind of how you grew up, where you grew up, take us back to kind of the beginning. And I want to see kind of where this journey eventually takes you into voiceover acting, into the electrical and lighting field and the other different things that you do. Sure. It all began in Danbury, Connecticut in 1975. Uh, yeah, that was the year I was born. So grew up in Danbury, Connecticut. Um, I had uh, my my older brother, who was four years my senior, uh, was always, I guess you would say, the model student and everything and uh, did everything right. I was kind of the, not, I was the polar opposite. We were like night and day. Um, I, uh, it's funny, we just had this conversation over the weekend with my mother who just turned 80. Uh, She used to tell me, what do you think? Everything's a big joke. And, uh, you know, come to find out everything kind of is. I mean, you find the humor in life and you enjoy it. Um, I was always that kid who never paid attention in school, never uh, listened to the teacher. And uh, every time my parents had a parent teacher conference, it was nerve wracking. And um, that kind of, you know, was what we little did we know was paving the way to more of a creative outlet for me in the future as uh, I got into radio in my adult career. Uh, But moving forward throughout my childhood, I was always into RC cars. I I speak a lot on identity. And my brother early on had a very creative identity with um, being a piano player and uh, learning how to play the piano. It always kind of followed him throughout life. The, um, what I did, I was, I got into playing the drums. I always wanted to be a drummer when I was six, seven years old. So my parents got me a saxophone. You know, that lasted maybe about six to eight months. Uh, that went away because it wasn't my thing. Uh, but I always did a bunch of different creative things with uh, radio control cars and building, using my hands and stuff like that, um, video games or whatever. But it wasn't until I started playing the drums uh, on a regular basis when I was 12 or 13 years old that I found my identity. And uh, that really started being attributed to me in school and kids knew me as the drummer. And uh, I was, it was just a natural draw. So that kind of fueled things throughout my teenage years, um, became known for that in high school, being the drummer and stuff like that. Um, 
and having a really bad mullet. Uh, graduated high school, got into college. Uh, college wasn't really for me. Uh, always wanted to get into radio, but the only thing holding me back was the stigma that radio just doesn't pay, you know, and I did college radio, really enjoyed it. Uh, eventually just, you know, didn't really work out in college, started working with my dad who uh, did telephone system installation uh, throughout the New York area and uh, learned the trade because that was the only other option after being told all my life that you have to go to college. And if you didn't go to college, you were going to be a failure. So I carried that around for a couple of years while I was doing blue collar work in white collar places like attorneys and doctor's offices around Westchester County, one of the most wealthy counties in the country. Um, very, very hard on me. The, um, but at some point, my father got out of, out of the business. I became an electrician and worked in that business. And one of the things, we all have those conversations with people where little nuggets are dropped, right? And we always remember certain things. And you know, at the time they're told to you that you're going to carry that the rest of your life. And my brother once said, look, if you're waking up every day and you're asking yourself, you're putting your feet on the floor, getting ready to get your day going, and you, you slump your shoulders and you hang your head and you ask yourself, why do I have to do this again? That's the kind of experience I was having being in, in the electrical field. And I was just an apprentice. I, it wasn't me. You know, I, it was a great skill to learn. And oddly enough, I own part of an electrical company now. But it wasn't my thing at the time. I had stuff to do. And that lied in radio. So I started going to broadcasting school. I figured, well, if I'm going to, uh, it wasn't worth it making really good money and hating what you did. So why don't I just go do what I love to do and get into radio? Um, suffice to say radio, if you, if you've done right, you could actually make a pretty good living, you know, if you start side hustles and things of that nature. So once I started cutting my teeth in radio, which happened to be behind the scenes in production in the production studios, not necessarily on the air. Again, that was one thing that I thought I'd want to do, but as it turned out, it was like, eh, you know, I don't want to front sell and back sell classic rock songs. So pod uh, production was my kind of my gig. I would stay in the production studio and come up with song parodies, commercials, imaging for radio stations, things of that nature. Uh, ended up moving to Las Vegas in 2001 for a group of radio stations out there. Uh, really started honing into my entrepreneurial uh, bent, if you will. And because, uh, again, somebody told me, uh, actually it was my predecessor at the radio station, something that he said stayed with me until today. He says, look, I just got tired of seeing all the salespeople driving the really nice cars. So I started a side hustle with voiceover production. And I said, well, crap, I should do the same thing. So in 2002, I hung a shingle and started a side hustle with voiceover and production, uh, commercial production for uh, various people around the Vegas Valley and uh, nationally. And um, I've been doing that ever since, uh, building that up. And uh, at 2005 came, I ended up, we, we moved out of Vegas back to, to Nashville. We wanted to get to the East Coast. But I knew I didn't want to move back to Connecticut, that's for sure. And, uh, <laughs> and you know, I felt like I was a Southerner, just displaced. And we, uh, I landed a job here in Nashville with Jack FM and Mix 92.9. was there for about eight and a half years. Oddly enough, got more into video production while I was working for a radio station. Because at that time, YouTube was coming up and all the social media sites were starting. And video was a big part of that. So I started doing videos for clients where I would do a lot of different practices I would employ in radio whenever I would have customers come in or clients come in, they would have their scripts and they would read from their scripts and read a radio commercial. Uh, I would actually, okay, now that we're warmed up, let's take the script away and let's just talk. Let's talk about what you do. Let's talk about why you do it. What gets you up in the morning? Why do your clients keep up? Do, they, do your clients keep coming back to you? Why do they do that? You know, all those little curiosity type questions that oddly enough, serve me today while I do podcasts with business owners and stuff around the uh, Spring Hill area here in Tennessee. So that's kind of a very nutshell version of how I came to be doing a whole bunch of voiceovers. Radio was a real big part of that because I was doing them every single day. <clears throat> and I, I've got a couple of uh, wonderings, Jim. My, my first wondering is, we, I have a brother as well. He's older and he was kind of the, uh, I don't know, not the goody two shoes, but like he had a, a knack for science and math. He's a chemical engineer right now. When, when I followed him in high school, the first two weeks were really easy. 
you're Corey's brother. Every, everything is, you know, he was such a d- delightful student, whereas I struggled, right? And, yeah. and I, I made noise and I cracked jokes and, and I kept things inter- kind of energetic and, and creative. And it helps me today. I'm a teacher currently. I've taught high school business for the past 10 years. And it definitely helped me with that creative aspect, but it was hell a lot of times going through high school, being a creative, because I always felt that I always felt that the school system didn't fit me. It was a one size fits all approach. Is that sort of what it felt like to you? And, and additionally, how can we change the public school experience to be not the McDonald's, you know, cut and dry hamburgers look like this. It always looks like this. It's consistent like this. Like, how do we change that to, to help our workforce? Uh, It's a good question. Um, Aside from getting into the political side of it and, uh, you know, trying to figure out the curriculums within the States. um, What I do with my own children is, you know, probably to my detriment, Uh, whenever they come home with homework assignments and things of that nature for uh, certain kinds of math and, you know, other things that they're learning that make me just go, what? You know, I understand the virtue of learning algebra two trigonometry calculus, but my gosh, you know, I don't know anybody other than architects and engineers and scientists that, you know, have been introduced to that. If for an introduction for somebody to move on to that, if that's their thing, then fine. But for the majority of us, it's not our thing. Um, What we need to be learning and really instilling in the kids is the notion of having multiple income streams, learning how to sell, learning how to close, learning how to network, how to talk to people, um, how to read, you know, important business. have them have a basic financial understanding when they get out into the world, because what does everybody understand? Well, you need to go to college and you need to move mountains and do come hell or high water. You need to do whatever you need to do to get into college, no matter what you're going to be paid on the other end. If you spend a quarter million dollars, it's worth it. But that, I think that tide is starting to change. Uh, What we can do, I think just starts with probably local politics and, you know, teaching our kids differently as they come up. For example, my son, I'm really teaching him and starting to pour into him the stuff that I wish was poured into me. I think my parents did the best they could, but they weren't exactly examples themselves on being financially uh, fortuitous. Yeah. Um, so when it came, when it you know, for example, my son's 12, he, want, he wanted an Oculus and it's a $400 item. What 12 year old is going to be able to earn 400 bucks in a short amount of time. So, okay, look, I teach them money changes hands when problems are solved. Daddy has a problem. Okay. I need someone to offload some of the editing of the voiceovers that I do every day. I will pay you X amount per prompt on this particular project that I have. It's a very basic elementary fundamental way to learn how to edit. You don't have to do much. It's just simply removing all the mistakes that I make and trip ups and things of that nature and making it sound fluid, packaging it up, saving it and putting it into a file. Um, He picked it up just like that because he's very technical. I knew it was part of his gifting. And within, you know, two months, he saved enough money to earn his Oculus with what I paid him. Um, now, the other aspect of that is teaching him, look, you need to say, I want for every big purchase, you know, it's a little small purchases, video games that are $30, you'll probably have enough in the bank to cover it. But for big purchases like this, this is a big chunk of money, save two to three times that amount. This way, when you when you blow 400 bucks, you still got 800 left over seven, 800 bucks, you're not done. If you apply that dis- discipline in your life with car buying with, you know, putting a down payment on a home, you're not out. And if you understand sales and how to look for opportunity in the world with other multiple streams of income, you will get there quicker. Uh, I teach them it's a sell or be sold world. You're either going to be sold or you're going to be the one doing the selling. Typically, the ones who do the selling are the ones who create a lot of wealth for themselves. It's the I believe everybody's a salesperson. It's just those who are successful at it realize that. 
Yeah, 100%. I completely agree with where you're going with this, Jim. And I know, excuse me, there's a lot of other countries around the world that have a a different system. It's not one size fits all, but they actually pretty young, they start to figure out where the kids strengths are and where their interests are. And they start Mm -hmm. to funnel them into different types of school, like you might be funneled into a business school at 14 years old, whereas the model in the United States is that you know, you can maybe take a business class in high school. There's many, many high schools that don't offer it. You know, we're lucky to have our whole district has at least two business teachers. But uh, it's always interesting to to see what people's opinions are on, you know, how do you change things up for the wave of the future? COVID's, COVID's given us an opportunity, actually, that we could pipe in more streams of different types of teachers all over the world that could help our kids with those types of things, financial selling, Mm -hmm. closing, but we're pretty, you know, this is the state mandated curriculum. This is the federal curriculum of what business should look like. And I think we, we kind of just get cozy in there. We just kind of get comfortable in there. And so uh, yeah. that's, that's why I always like to, to ask those questions. And I love your input on that, Jim. Um, Something that I wanted to ask you as well is as you're starting up Jim McCarthy voiceover, how did everything start to evolve? The branding, the colors, what you were going to do, who you were going to serve. How were those first, what did that first year look like as you started up the side hustle of voiceovers? Well, that was back in 02. I started a company called C Note Spots and the big idea was $100 uh, productions. Um, which was completely underselling myself at the time, now that I realize it. But I didn't have the confidence to hold a company on my own. So I had uh, nine other male voices, including myself, and 10 other female voices that people could choose from to get whatever production they needed. Basically, just, you know, voiceover, music bed, basic kind of spot, 100 bucks. Um, Anything above and beyond that concert spots promos would be a little bit more of a premium, but uh, at least got the conversation starting on on that. And uh, I read a lot of branding books and marketing books uh, from Reese and Trout in the early days of my radio, uh, which goes over a lot of the elements of branding. Well, you know, the, 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 you know your, your logo has to fit the eyes. What shape is it? Uh, what is the font? Because if we look at logos these days, uh, different branding things. If you think Golden Arches, we all know it's McDonald's. If you think the Swoosh, you think Nike. All those little uh, things are key. So uh, colors play a, an important part to it. Uh, I always knew I was. I always wanted to have two to three different colors in my branding. So in the early days with C Note Spots, it was green, you know, because of the money aspect of it, and uh, black and white. Uh, with, you know, the voiceover aspect of it, it's red, white, and black. Uh, with Big Dot, when we designed that logo, I wanted it to be more of a silvery white with red and, you know, black. What's your problems? Got black and yellow, you know, <laughs> so these things are going behind me. Um, that's all what kind of played into it, knowing and understanding that uh, people's brains process simplicity. So make it simple for them to remember you. And that was the basis of my whole, uh, the whole gist of it moving forward. And then what was your first batch of clients? Uh, podcasting wasn't huge there. Are you, are you doing advertisements? Are you doing videos? Are you doing sound? What, what are you, uh, or just strictly audio? It was audio in the beginning. Uh, I did a lot of voiceover commercials for uh, different clients around the Vegas Valley, ad agencies, things of that nature. I would, I would, just, I would literally, you know, send out packages with a CD <laughs> and uh, a listing. And, you know, I really went above and beyond the paper that was the, that was in the uh, package was a substantial, almost like a post board type of paper, uh, card stock, if you will, that had a, I, I actually sought it out and I wanted it to have a green hue to it. So that was part of the branding and, you know, sent, I probably overthought it back then, but it got me a lot of different clients and, you know, those clients spread the word and eventually you move to Nashville and you start working those clients and uh, you have all these different people that you work with in the radio station that come in. Uh, maybe they want to run an ad outside the market. You're their go-to guy. Um, Cause you know, if you were able to produce and put a spot together co- cohesively, it was you know, kind of like shooting fish in a barrel. Uh, now not so much because you got an onslaught of people getting into the voiceover business but the good thing a lot of them don't know how to produce themselves 
they don't have the background in, that I have with uh, EQing your voice, compressing it, finding the right edits, understanding voiceover nuances and approaches and performance styles and things of that nature. There's still a lot of people are learning, which opens up a whole new swath of opportunity for me because I can teach them. So that's another revenue stream. And do you think it's <clears throat> the you know, the onslaught of additional voiceover actors is just because of the ease, just because it's so much easier to connect digitally. Yeah. It's a uh, lowered barrier of entry technologically, and it really pisses off the voiceover community that uh, are elite, the uh, legacy people. They don't like the fact that there are people out there working for five, $10 a read, but that's the reality. Um, and that's one of the th things I preached to. I said, it's no longer about you getting an agent or getting on a pay to play site and just, you know, cleaning up and sweeping up all these different auditions for, you know, several hundred dollars a read. That environment is changing with the voiceover industry. There are a lot of people that don't like it. Uh, they label the newbies that are coming on as, you know, race to the bottom and bottom feeders and things, which is okay, you know. With every Mercedes and BMW that's out there, you can have your Kia and your Hyundai and, and things of that nature. Okay, that's that's just the world we live in. They refuse to accept the technological aspect. That look, if for technology is a freight train coming down the tracks and it doesn't care who is standing on them, all right, it will run you over. So if you adapt, which is something that I preach to a lot of creatives, not just voiceover people, photographers, videographers, because all of their worlds are changing with technology. There are people out there that just simply use a phone and call themselves a photographer. And you know what, they they make it work. You have to contend with that. Well, you're not using a professional camera, who gives a damn? If the client likes what you're doing, that's all that matters. Okay, if I'm using somebody had mentioned that, well, hey, I'd love to have a lower voice in the beginning, so I could do more radio station imaging and promos and television stuff. I don't have a low enough voice. But if I pitched it down, when I recorded it, I'm cheating. And someone said, look, if someone likes the way it sounds, who cares? <laughs> That's that at the end of the day, if they like what you do, and they're willing to pay for it, great. Who cares how you do it? Right? And definitely, Jim, and something comes across my mind there as far as adaptability, you know, the key word around around the space is is pivoting lately, right? Like, you have to yeah. pivot constantly in COVID and pivot and pivot and, and whether you like the word or not, it is very mindset based the way that you're approaching the changes in your industry, the, the changes yeah. are that are, are that we've got, you know, we used to have 500. Now we have 500,000 voiceover artists, quote unquote. Yeah. And, you know, the, we have Adobe audition. We have all these other powerful programs that you can adjust the EQ. And so the barrier of entry is so low, which makes it important to have that mindset of like, what do I do now? How do I brand myself? How do I position myself? And I think the most important part circling back to when you were talking about selling is that's the issue we're dealing with right now. You've got to be a better salesman. Your process Ultimately. has to be streamlined. You have to be great on the phone. You have to build rapport quickly and close deals or you're done. You're going mm -hmm. back to you're going back to being an electrician and doing something you hate, right? Yep. And you gotta you, you have to adapt. I mean, that's one the one of the things that one of the conversations that continually persist in the voiceover community is marketing. How do I market myself? How do I get more agents? Okay. Agents are just another means, it's a salesperson. An agent is a salesperson. They make money when they sell you or sell another talent that they represent. The agent is out there selling the service of voiceover and he's got a pool of people he can pull from. And all he is doing or she is doing is getting them in front of a client saying, hey, I've got five selections here. Go with the one you like the best. And hopefully you're in that selection. That lessens your chances of getting paid because there is, like you said, not there's there, there are multiple millions of people on some level, trying to do voiceover in the world right now, probably wow. in the United States alone. Okay, I've, I, the last time I, I looked it up, I think it was seven or 8 million people in the country identify themselves as either a voiceover artist, a VO artist, a talent, something along those lines of those words. Um, that's wow. something you have to contend with, whether you like it or not. What, you know, if you don't like the way it's going, then you got to figure something else out. The funny thing is the same people out, out of the other side of their mouth, once you tell them this, well, if you're that scared about, oh, I'm not scared, I'm doing just fine. 
then what are you worried about if you're doing just fine? Right. Well, you're just denigrating the industry. That's, dude, that's going to happen. You have no control of the denigration of the industry. We are being commoditized. Bottom line. It happened to travel agents. It's happened to real estate agents. It happened to mortgage people. It happens to insurance people. Guess what? They deal with it and they move forward because they understand selling. You need right. to figure out how to reach directly out to the end client. Skip the agents. Skip the production houses. Skip the media production companies. Go right to the direct end user and say, and figure out how to sell yourself to them. Start with the products you use. If it's a Ford that you drive, reach out to the local Ford dealers. Hey, I hear you on the, what I, I one of the exercises I tell voiceover people, and this is why it's so important for them to learn how to produce themselves. The other aspect, I, I'll get into that later, is learning how to produce themselves. Voicing it is just one thing. Producing it and doing all the other things that you can make a good sounding ad is a whole other thing that they need to learn if you really want to stand out because and then you could, then you could do spec spots. What email, what email is going to get better, better opened with a subject line? Hey, I heard your ad on the radio. That's a, that's probably a hundred percent open every single time. If you're, right. you're getting it in front of the right person. I heard your ad on the radio. I love what you do. I drive a Ford. Uh, I think I actually bought from your dealership. I would love the opportunity to be your market exclusive voice in your category for your radio ads. What do you think? Oh, and by the way, I've gone ahead and produced a spec ad that's attached. Go ahead and listen. When do you, what's a good time for us to talk? Jim is, Prospecting. That your, Jim, is that the secret sauce? You just add a little bit of an audio clip in there. You think that helps yeah. your conversion rate? Why not? Why not? Because yeah. you're, you're starting to stand out. That's one of the things that I talk about is I, I have a hashtag called be them centric. It's not about you. It's not about how much you spent on your equipment. It's not about how many hours you've spent getting coaching. It's not about you having a, the latest and greatest demo producer right. or, you know, how much you think you're worth. That's another buzz phrase that drives me nuts. Know your worth. It doesn't care. Nobody cares what you think you're worth. Nobody cares until you can sell it to them. Make them care about what you think you're worth. It's not about you. It's about them. Money changes hands when problems are solved. Identify the problem, create a problem, and be the solution. And a I lot of them that. don't get it, which is to my benefit. No, I love that. Any, any industry, right, Jim? It's not just voiceover. It's not yeah. acting. It's not electrical and lighting. Solve problems, and you're going to get paid directly proportionate to the you know, the, yeah. the difficulty of that problem. If you solve a lighting issue, if you come into my office and replace a bulb, you're going to get paid, let's say, a dollar or two to replace mm -hmm. a bulb. However, if you strategically plan the entire lighting system, diagram, et cetera, you're solving that difficult problem and you're going to get paid accordingly. If you can do the same. And so what you're saying with voiceover, you're doing the same thing. You're looking at these problems and you're trying to find the difficult ones. And then you can replicate those types and you can say, Hey, I, I just, I just did a voiceover for this dealership, this ad, they loved it. Here's a testimonial and you move on mm -hmm. to the next. Well, I mean, a lot of the creatives out there just don't consider themselves to be salespeople. They think it's a bad word. Uh, it's, a, it's, it's something, a notion in the industry overall that, well, I'm not a salesperson. Well, you better learn how to be. Or you better, you're going you're to pay somebody else to do it for you. And even then, that's not guaranteed that you're going to make money. Okay, that's just the bottom line. So you might as well do it yourself and keep all of the money that you can earn. Um, one of the things I tell my kids is... And I tell this to anybody, a lot of you hear that, well, if you really want to uh, learn how people work, wait tables, I will agree and qualify that with something further. If you are graduating high school and you have no idea what to do, and you think that just going to college is the next thing, and you still have no idea what to do, I don't think it's a good idea. And here's why. Depending on who's footing the bill, mom or dad or yourself, you're going to come out of college still maybe not knowing exactly what you want to do or thinking within that four-year space, you have to figure it out. The, the, the reality is, I believe we spend the majority of our 20s trying to figure it out, trying to figure out who we are. And I think the key, especially you as a teacher, is to impart to students that you need to be self-aware. You need to figure out who you are and what you're meant to do on this planet with your life, in this particular stage of your life. 
um, when the twenties is what I think is basically used to do. Now that doesn't mean you can't make a good living. If college isn't the thing, if you're thinking that it's just not the direction you want to go, then go sell cars, do door to door sales, something like that. Even if you hate it, go out there, commit to two, maybe three years selling cars and just do it. Wake up every day. Yeah. It may suck. You're not going to like it, but you never know. Maybe after six months, you may like it. After two years, you may not. But the car business, I was in the car business for, for several years after radio. And it was one of the biggest educational experiences of my life because I learned how to sell. I thought I was a good salesperson before I got into the car business. No, I wasn't. I learned how to sell better. I learned how to close. I learned how to overcome objections. I learned how to talk to people while they were figuring out how to buy the second largest purchase they're going to make in life. Right. Okay. And you get continuous practice with that two or three times a day, depending on what kind of dealership you're at. If you really want to take it to the next level, you're not going to rely on inbound traffic. You're going to actually learn how to prospect. Okay. And I tell this to my kids, my oldest daughter, I don't know what I want to do. Then good. When you graduate high school, go sell cars for two years. Just commit to it. You can live with us. We'll spend you, we'll charge you a little bit of rent. That's going to be required. That's a reality you're going to have to deal with. But I would rather you see a buttload of, make a buttload of money between, you know, ages 19, 20, 21. And then you can figure out who you are because you'll, we'll figure out how to put that money into something that actually generates an income for you passively apartment buildings. Okay. Cause the amount of money you can accumulate over that two to three years of your discipline is a down payment on an apartment complex. It really is. When you've got no bills and you're living with mom and dad, why not? I am all for that. Okay. Pay for your own phone, pay for your own insurance. If you got a small car payment or you're just driving a beater, do it. But keep that goal in mind. By the time I'm 21, 22, I want to have a quarter million dollars in the bank. And I'm going to plunk that down on a 16 unit complex and then leverage the rest and move out into one of the units and have the other 15 pay my rent. Then by the time you're 24, 25 years old, you can figure out whatever you want to do because it's funded. <laughs> right. That's <laughs> something well, I wish I did. Well, and I think that, yeah, you're absolutely right. And I think here, go back to education just for, you know, a split second and, and we'll move right, right on. But how many teachers live in that world in their head? How many teachers have that mindset? And I'll tell you very few in the buildings that I've taught in have that. There are those one-offs that understand you know, passive investing that understand the real estate, but most of them are thinking very, very short. They're, they're thinking, you know, what's the state retirement going to do for me? When can I retire? How much is it going to be? And in the summertime, instead of working on investment plans or looking at new real estate opportunities, they're taking classes to get better at teaching or, or move on the teaching yeah. scale. And so that's a, that's a tough one. And, and I think that's why teachers are like, Hey, go to college because they personally do not know any other way because they haven't either been taught it or went through it themselves. Right. Well, I mean, if you don't know, you don't know. And that's one of the things that I guess as a teacher, what you can impart to your students is I have my, my previous podcast. The big thing about it was marinate your mind in good stuff. Get your head out of the politics. It doesn't, if you can't control it directly and it may affect your life, there's nothing you can do about it. Okay. I just looked this morning, we're, but we got $4 a gallon gas now. What can I do about that? Nothing. Why am I going to get crazy about it? There's no reason to. It is what it is. It's always something that you have to deal with. The only thing you control is what happens between your ears. So feed it the right stuff. Listen to the podcasts of the people who have been there, done that, uh, and, and learn from them. You've got these guys out there who have massive careers that are giving it away for free, just in exchange for you becoming better known, them become, becoming better known by, by you. That's right. it. They're handing it to you. That they would normally charge at a conference thousands of dollars. They're handing that information away on a free podcast. Listen to podcasts. Find the guys who, who jive with you. Start with Cardone. Start with Bradley. Start with uh, Gary Vaynerchuk. All those guys, they're all talking about good stuff to improve your life. Start there. That's what I tell my kids too. 
All right. And audit your circle, find out who's in your room. You're, you're, you know, you are the sum total of the five people you hang out with the most. If you don't like your life, look around. Who are you hanging around with? Are they outperforming you? Are they doing big things? If you're the smartest person in the room and doing the biggest things out of anybody in your room, that's a problem. You're not going to grow. Get around the people who make you feel small. That's a good thing. So start there. Yeah, definitely. It's it's one of those things too. I, I think some some folks get that content overload. Yeah. Find somebody, what Jim said, find somebody who vibes with you that's been there and done that. I would not mm -hmm. suggest listening to 10 different experts on the same topic. You'll get overwhelmed and then inaction comes in. If you actually mm -hmm. want to create something, you want to build something, you want to build a better life for yourself, you've got to focus on one or two leaders, one or two mentors, listen to their podcasts, try to figure out how they go about their business and, and what it's like and go that that direct route. Additionally, look around, Jim says. Look around. If your best stories are from high school, you need to move on. If your yeah. best stories, like when I was 16, I was the stud quarterback, all the ladies love me. And, and, you know, if all of your stories start like that, you need to move on. You need to increase the vibrance of your circle and start hanging out around folks that, that do great things. And we're not just talking money here. When we, when we talk about success, we're not just talking money here, doing great things. What are they doing for their community? How do they volunteer? How do they give back? Look at your circle, not only in monetary means, but what impact are they making? And mm -hmm. if you want to be a part of that, if you want to be a part of something bigger, get on the train or get off. Absolutely. Totally agree. And a lot of people don't do that. A lot of people will look at their life and I want a risk-free life, understanding that they're, they're living the biggest risk. All right. I mean, the notion of even home ownership, a lot of, well, I want to own my own home. It's the quote, American dream. No, it's not. That's a marketed message created by the real estate industry, the mortgage industry, that it's the American dream to own your own home. You don't own it. A lot of Americans don't think that's through at the end of the day. Well, what if I pay it off? You still don't own it because if you miss a property tax payment, guess what? Bye -bye. They're going to come seize your house. You don't own it. Okay, once you realize that, and again, it's something outside of your control, unless you engage in local politics. And I believe that a lot of the problems we're in, will start and end with local politics. And those are the, the elections we typically don't pay attention to, we take we pay attention to the biggies. Um, and those are the ones that help us the least. <laughs> so um, when people realize that their one job is the biggest risk they have. And 35 million people this time last year found out the hard way just how at risk they were when everybody lost their job. They had nothing else coming in. You have to build multiple streams of income. Yes, you can, you can, you got to fund your life, whatever lifestyle you want, you have to figure out how to fund it at some point. All right. Not everybody can be a rock star millionaire, but you can, you can make a pretty good income generated passive income that funds a lifestyle on two to three to four million bucks. It's not that hard to get there if you really break it down to the ridiculous, reduce it to the ridiculous. But a lot of people are just in that mode of day to day, paycheck to paycheck. I've got my summers. I want my paid two weeks. I want my health insurance and my benefits. You got to think differently. You got to shatter that paradigm because it's shift. It's shattering around you. If for anybody who's listening to this and they're, they're living in that average lifestyle, like I did, you got to think differently because it's going to, it'll take you down. And a lot, unfortunately, a lot of people aren't thinking that way. They want, they want to be taken care of. Well, and I think, you know, some like growing up, my, my dad had the same job until he retired, right? Like he, he moved right. one company to the other only because one company bought out the other. He, was with the same company day in, day out, eight to four, eight to three. I, I forget what his exact hours were, but like, no. that scares me. Like I have my teaching gig, but I know at any point it could go away. Could end. And yeah. I, I'm not naive to think that I'm irreplaceable. 
And so, you know, the side hustles are important. The investments are important. And if you're just living and you're like, oh, I've got this great life. Like now I can buy a new truck or now I can buy a new car. Like I just got a raise. Now I can buy a new car. But just set that aside a little bit. And whatever your investment risk level is, go into apartments, go into single family, or just go your traditional route into stocks and bonds and the traditional methods. But I think it takes that discipline. It takes that thought process of, hey, I'm doing really well here. Let's be stupid. Let me reward myself. Yeah, let me let me reward myself and something that doesn't bring it back. I mean, Cars lose value, right? There's very few cars mm-hmm. that have ever been made that have increased in value over time. The, the traditional cars, you know, you take it off the lot, there's three, four grand gone. Hey, you know, we've all done it. It's nice driving a new car, but it all comes back to that mindset, Jim, and getting getting your ducks in a row, so to speak, and understanding that you're irreplaceable, that your job might not be there tomorrow. And what are you going right. to do in order to provide for yourself and your family? And it all starts with what your kids see. So if we start with the kids and teaching them the right way, yeah, it's, you know, right now school is your job. You got to make sure that whatever you're doing, relevant or not, you got to do the best you can at. That's your job. Because that's going to teach you how to get great. If my son, again, oddly enough, music class is where he's having a challenge because he just doesn't want to do it. Dude, I get it. I was you. (laughs) I didn't want to do a lot of these things. (laughs) But this is something that's, it's a freaking slow pitch. Just knock it out of the park. It's easy. You can do this. You know, you can do this. You know, just, just put the 15 minutes of effort it's going to take for you to get that A. That's all you need to do. And then, you know, if you don't want to do it next year, then fine. We'll figure something else out. But I think, uh, that's, but, you know, I think that's the separator, Jim. The separator is people that are successful knock out those easy things that just continue to build up in those folks that are average. Like the dishes are in the sink. Do the dishes. That'll take 10 minutes. It's gonna clean, be- get them done and clean it and move on to the next mm-hmm. where those that are in their even, head. Go ahead. Even even you're talking about a mundane task like that. Okay. I understand that on the surface, I really don't want to do this, but what's the one positive I can draw out of doing the dishes right now? It's thinking time. I can just, it's, it's a mundane act. It's uh, somewhat cathartic. You know, I used to look at mowing the lawn as just a chore. Now I love it because it's thinking time. I can think. I've got a drone in the background, just, you know, like listening to waves lapping on a beach. It's a, it's a, it's a lawnmower drone. I can plug myself in, escape for an hour and just think about things. That's why I like mowing the lawn now, even though it's a mundane task, that's probably not best suited for my time. I still enjoy doing it. Washing the dishes, the same thing. If it's something that you really are challenged to get into, draw the one positive that you can out of it and focus on that. You know, Spencer music class. Okay. It's music. You love music. Figure out the one positive you can draw about on it until it's over and then you're done. That's how you get past those hard topics, those hard tasks. And getting back to what you said about cars, the car business being a very challenging business, uh, that will also get all the cars out of your system. So if you feel the urge to buy a car, uh, it's because the notion of having something nice and new is appealing. But when you're in the car business, you're in something nice and new all the time and you get it out of your system. There you so, go. Just, 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 be, <laughs> just be a car salesman part-time. If yeah. you really, if you're really a gearhead and you need to drive the newest, latest and greatest, just part-time yeah. side hustle, the old car sales dealership. Yeah. Be a, be a car salesman for two or three years out of, out of high school. If you don't, if you have no idea where you're going, if you know you want to be a doctor, a lawyer, an engineer, anything that requires a college education, then fine, go knock yourself out. But if you're like me and you graduated high school thinking you wanted to be a CPA, the hell would I do being a CPA for crying out loud? Really? That goes to show you how little I knew about myself at age 18. I thought I wanted to be a CPA. I would, I would have put a bullet in my mouth by now. Okay. No, that's not me. That's not who I am. Did I enjoy it in high school? Yeah, I was pretty good at it because it had to do with business. And that, you know, that was kind of like a foreshadowing of sorts with how my life would play out. But I don't, I wouldn't want to do freaking accounting work all day. Are you out of your flipping mind? I understand it on a basic level, but that's what I thought I wanted to do back then. And that's what I was going to do. But fate interceded and here we are. Um, 
that's why I tell people college, you can, you can build a good life without college. That has to be sold. It's not for everybody. If I wanted to go into a trade in high school, it was frowned upon. There was a, an impotent, there was a intimate, it was intimated to us that it, well, if you, if you can go to the trade school, if you really have to, that was the attitude because only right. the losers went to the trade school. Those guys were making 40, 50 a grand a year by the time they were 19, 20 years old in those fields. Easily. There's nothing wrong with the trades. Absolutely nothing. I mean, that's what we do here. So whether you're somebody who's good with their hands, never be ashamed of doing something in a trade because you will outperform and outearn your counterparts who are trying to make it through college who may or may not know what they want to do. That's just the reality. Okay. What kids need to hear today is that you can make a life. If college is the thing, great, go to college. But if you get out of high school and you have no idea, go sell cars. Waiting tables, eh, it's not a high yield business. Car business can be. Especially when you're single, you don't have any kids, you're living at home with mom and dad. You just dive in and pour yourself into that industry. You're there bell to bell. You're waiting on every customer. You're making sure you learn how to follow up, prospect, close, all that stuff. Because you can take all of that stuff with you throughout the rest of your life. If you know how to sell, you will survive no matter what happens. 100%. Yeah. The, the, I go off uh, on tangents. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I love it. Uh, I feel like this is like Jim. Like if you, if you had coffee with Jim and you're 18 years old and you come in, you're all happy. It's like, Hey, uh, I, I don't want, I don't know what I want to do with my life. Jim's just like, go sell cars. All right. I'll see you later. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> or, 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 or you're 18 and you come to the coffee shop, you have a sad look on your face. You, you, you look like you've just been punched in the face. Jim's just like, you, you need to go, you need to go sell cars. <laughs> turn, turn that frown upside I mean, my, down. My business part, you know, well, you can go into the military too. I mean, you know, whatever you want right. to do. My business partner sold, he, he did door-to-door sales here for Big Dot. When he started, he got out of the military and that's what he did. He was very good at it. He, he, he burst out of his shell and he carries those skills with him now doing what we do. He's a conversation starter. He understands how to create rapport with people because you had to do that. You had to learn how to shuck and jive in the moment with door-to-door sales with people who didn't want to hear from you. He had to figure that out. And that skill set helps him to this day. That is not being taught. That's why I tell people, I tell people don't, don't go to, if you don't go into the car business to get into the car business, learn the car business, learn how to sell, learn all the different things that you will be forced to learn and commit to it for two years. Even if you hate it, just do it. Yeah. After two, because two years will go by like that when you're 19 years old, before you know it, you're 21. Uh, this sounds exactly like the conversation I had with one of my students about a year ago, comes into my classroom after he graduated I don't know what I, I want to do. I can't bag groceries anymore. You know, I, I can't do this anymore. I was just like, hey, just go sell cars. Just just, <laughs> just, just like it all comes full circle. It's like, I completely agree. Just whatever sales job, right? We're, we're using right. selling cars because there's so many jobs because the turnover is high because sometimes right. it sucks. But, you know, if you can get it's past, a, it, past it's the It's a brutal it, business. Yeah. yeah. If you can get back past the suckage and, you know, just stick with it for a couple of years, then you Cars, can go on your way. Car sales is like the equivalent of selling boot camp. Okay. <laughs> It'll break you down, but it will also build you back up if you let it. It will break you down. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. But, dude, I did it at 30, 38 years old. I was 37, I think. You know, after building a career in radio and it just didn't, wasn't paying anymore. I had to go do something else. 37 years old, I had to figure out what to do and feed my family. I had a mortgage. <laughs> I had health insurance to pay for. I had three mouths to feed and four and with my wife who stayed at home with the kids. That's right. unheard of these days. Okay. And the other big thing that revealed to me, because, you know, you come across so many people. I sold Honda for about seven months and I sold Mercedes for the remaining three years or so. Mercedes got me in front of a lot of big thinkers. And one of them, she wasn't a big thinker, but she really listened to me because at the time I was 40, 39 going on 40. And I had nothing in my bank account to show, I, you know, when we're all 18, by the time I'm 40, I'm going to be have this much in the bank account. And there are a lot of people out there that, man, the reality is a stark contrast to where I thought I'd be. I was there. Okay. 40 years, 39 going on 40. 
I'm sitting in front of a customer who just bought not one, but two cars from me in cash, which is a, what, something that I couldn't do at the time in my wildest dreams. And I just started talking and catharting to her. And she just sat there and listened. And we're still friends to this day. And she said, my gosh, you were so hard on yourself. Again, another little nugget of a conversation I'll always carry with me. And it hit me like a ton of bricks. She says, you're not realizing all the positive you, you've done. You know how hard it is to keep your wife at home raising your children these days? And like, you got to give yourself credit for that. Your equity you've been earning over the years may not be in your bank account, but it's in your kids. I'm like, geez, you know what? Wow. You're right. I never thought about it that way. Thank you. Find the positive. There's a positive in everything. We're all going to learn something. And it's never too late. I don't care if you're 60. Go do something you've always wanted to do. Figure it out. There's time. It's that perspective, Jim. I think we, we go through and it's like, we, we haven't done enough. We haven't made enough. We haven't met all the people that we'd like to meet. We right. feel sometimes that, you know, we come home and, and we're, we're not who we wanted to be with our kids or our spouse. We're yeah. so dang hard on ourselves, but just a little perspective in that conversation, I could hear your voice change and what that meant to you and how you look at life. And I love that. It, it's all perspective, whether yep. some days it's going to be freaking raining outside and inside. Mm -hmm. And some, some days you just can't keep out the sun. And so it's all about that perspective. As we wrap things up, Jim, I know we could talk for hours here, but I want to respect your time and sure. schedule. Once you start getting me talking about education and entrepreneurship and investing, things can go all sorts of directions. So sure. I appreciate our conversation today. What I wanted to come back to is there's millions of voiceover artists. Mm -hmm. What separates you? What makes you against all average? Uh, the ability to produce my own voice and, you know, sell myself in a strategic manner, uh, find a way to get on the phone with my, my customer and have the fundamental path to a sale and create the relationship. That's the difference. I'm not going to write off a hamburger client because they're lowballing me. All right. It may be not be, it may not be them that's lowballing me. It may be their manager or somebody. Uh, there's always a positive to be drawn out of every person you talk to. And too many people write off lowball offers without learning how to upsell and learning how to present value. That's what I do. Awesome. Thank you so much, Jim, for coming on the podcast. Another hour spent with someone I wanted to learn from and you just put on a clinic. I appreciate it, my man. Another Thanks, big, another big shout out to this episode's sponsor fair and event. And with that, we thank you for listening to the against all average podcast with Jim McCarthy, the voice over genius. We'll see Kyle you <laughs> and Kyle. And Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> This has been Against All Average. Subscribe, share, rate, and review at AgainstAllAverage.com.